Thanks for listening to the latest Big Ben History Podcast, where we look at the past at Westminster. In our last episode, we spoke to one of Margaret Thatcher's private secretaries, Caroline Slocock, who was the only woman in the cabinet room when Margaret Thatcher resigned, apart, of course, from Mrs Thatcher herself. Today I speak to two of her other private secretaries, Barry Potter and Dominic Morris. Both were also in the room when she resigned. They'd been up nearly all night, writing the speech she would have to give later to the House of Commons, after Labour had tabled a no-confidence vote. They were also with her at the very, very end, at her last night in Downing Street, when over a kitchen dinner, they tried to guess who the new Prime Minister, John Major, would put in his cabinet. In short, they had an eyewitness view of the brutal end to Britain's first female Prime Minister. We started talking about the meeting where Mrs Thatcher resigned. I asked Barry if it was as traumatic as the records suggest. Yes, I think it was. Um, we, I mean, the, the previous 24 hours had been perhaps the most event-filled period, um, certainly of my time as a private secretary in the Prime Minister's office. And we were all, I mean, sort of shattered by the pace at which things were happening. Um, it was hard to see grown senior men uh, in the Cabinet in such obvious distress. I mean, there's no other way of putting it. And we ourselves, I think, were distressed. You know, it was amazing. I was the new boy amongst the private secretaries. But it didn't take long to build up an intense loyalty to the Prime Minister and to be distressed at what was happening. Dominic, your memories? Uh, I'd describe it as traumatic rather than horrendous. It, it certainly was. Um, as Barry just said, it was odd to see cabinet ministers with tears in their eyes. Uh, she insisted on trying to renounce her resignation statement broke down after about three or four sentences, and I think it was Cecil Parkinson. Yes. Basically did a, just, just take your time, Margaret. I think I can recall his words, and I actually think that what he said, I might be wrong, correct me if you remember better than I do, but I think he said something about, you know, take it easy, Margaret, uh, and then she said that she was going to repeat it, and he said, you don't have to do this. And I'm quite uh, sure that sure he said, you don't have to do don't this. don't have to do this, but she, she and, went and, on. He was evidently stressed. She was distressed. I remember at least, I think I can identify at least two other members of the cabinet who you could not just see tears in their eyes were actually rolling down their faces. Um, Gemma was one. And David Waddington, Waddington, Waddington. Was, was another one. Yeah. And I remember that very well. And even someone as austere and uh, um, kind of upright as Lord Mackay, who was also there, was visibly you know, upset by what was going on. And looking back at it now, it seems very anachronistic. It seems appalling. It's a sort of a, it, it, there wasn't an HR department. It's not how you deal with people now when they're dismissed. Do you, do you look back at it like that? That just shouldn't have happened. Well, it shouldn't have happened, but there was an air of Greek tragedy about it. There was. there was an inevitability to it. I remember going well back before the fall, her the celebrations for her tenth anniversary. And as she was leaving the private office to go off to the guild's hall, she said, I don't like this. I don't like this. Intimations of mortality, dear. Mm. <laughs> and then in the, as things rolled forward, you had the stalking horse challenge. And then things got worse with the community charge, the poll yeah, taxes. Indeed. It was a tragedy in itself. Yeah. And, 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 and. And, and her treatment of Geoffrey. Because about... Two weeks before his famous parliamentary resignation speech, 
she'd given a, a thorough and actually, I think, ill-deserved handbagging mm. in front of all her colleagues. It was over the parliamentary calendar for it was that over week. Parliamentary yes, calendar. And, and yeah. basically, as Lord President already demotion, he was saying to colleagues, you know, can you get your skates on and get your bills ready for the coming session? And she, for no obvious reason, just went in and sort of saw it entirely as his fault. He should have been managing this programme. Mm. And I remember Charles leaning across to me and saying, if she carries on like this, he'll resign. Yes, I remember those. I remember him doing exactly that, getting up and we sat together and he walked over to us and said, any more of this and she'll resign. I remember it. And, and he'll resign, I beg your pardon. Um, the, the other strange thing about the room, um, or, or about the meeting that day, is of course the assassin was not in the room. And you, you saw a sort of, a, a definite, I had a definite sense of, of many of the cabinet members, the ones who may not have been wildly enthusiastic about her, but certainly did not want to see her go down at that point. There was a sudden sort of, oh God, what have we done look on their faces. And I could mention you know, several that I think were in that category. Um, well, you mentioned the assassin, and Carolyn Slocock says in her book, you, you weren't great fans of Mr. Hesseltine. Is there a way in which, because he was the alternative, uh, that's why she ended up because the alternative was so desperate for some people, that's why they forced her out. If it had been somebody who'd been more palatable to them, could they have supported her for longer? Now, that's an interesting question. It is, but we were moving, certainly for the backbenchers, into save-our-seats mode. They could see, you know, 92, the backstop, coming on. That's not that long away, etc., etc., and things are just getting steadily worse and she's not listening to us. The community charge, the poll tax, was an unmitigated disaster. And just to explain to our listeners here, you know quite a lot about the community charge. <laughs> I, I do indeed. I had been involved from the Treasury side um, up until when I joined Number 10, and the Treasury's view was that viewed, correctly held view, was that as an element of tax policy, it made no sense in a modern tax system, and in that respect, the Treasury was quite right. But we were always in, for want of a better way of putting it, defending the indefensible mode in number 10. And I think it took a long, long time before the Prime Minister, and I don't think in some sense she ever realised that it couldn't be made viable by throwing enough money at it, and we kept throwing money at it, as yeah. you know. There were a series of silly little contributory factors in the way that it worked out, including um, the late, was he Lord Ridley eventually? But Nick Ridley, Nick Ridley yeah. was, was kind of outmatched at a meeting I well remember when John Major, then a rising chief secretary, um, really rather cleverly outwitted him, which meant there wasn't enough money coming from central government grant, which raised the tax even higher. I, I've read an account that you and John Major were thrilled that you'd... Uh... Uh, You'd beaten them down to such a low level and it came back to haunt you. Well, indeed so. That, that was our job, was to, to keep down the contribution from the, the central government uh, to, to the overall cost of the thing. But I, I would actually point the finger less at that than at a very uh, unfortunate, really rather silly decision that was taken. Oh, I can't remember which party conference it was at, but when we were running with something called dual running, which was the idea that you'd keep the rating system... And the poll tax would be a kind of supplement. And everybody thought that was the way out. That was the way out of going full hardy on this, as it were, or full, full flow on this. And the disaster was 
that when Nick Ridley went to the party conference, there was sort of you know, some of the more extreme views said, no, no, we want the poll tax now. And he backed down in front of the party conference. Well, once that was done... That was 88? Yeah. 87 or 88, yeah. Once that was done, the die was cast. Yeah. And, you know, one, as I say, one error on top of the other. It was not a good tax. It really wasn't. It was a very bad idea. And it wasn't something that you can see... I, I can think of any other country in the world, because I later looked at this stuff when I had a subsequent, subsequent career at the IMF. But th the problem was... Once it got rolling, it was terribly hard to stop it, and several chances were missed. Um, and just so I, I come across this with the fall of Thatcher again and again, there's this contrast of the inevitability of the fall. It's very well signalled if you look back in history. Right. There's a challenge in 19, there's Jeffrey Howe, there's Nigel Lawson resigning, yep. there's riots in the streets, right. and yet there's this terrible shock yes. when she leaves. Yes. Uh, and, and how do you reconcile those two, Dominic? I find it quite hard to manage. It's in a way, it was one of the most unsurprising exits ever in some ways. But you're right. Um, there was a sense of inevitability about the process, but the actual moment, you know, the crisis, the moment, the fall, all the Tories, almost to a man and woman, doing, oh Christ, what have we done? Yes. What have we caused to happen? Uh, aided by a magnificent delivery on her part of her response to the Kinnock No Confidence motion yes. speech. I mean, it was, I mean, we both had a hand in crafting yeah, it. Well, you, you were, tell us more, you were writing it the night before, I believe. We, yeah, we, we were. were. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, putting the finishing touches. Yeah. Uh, I was, you did all the economic bits, and I remember her saying, Barry, this is wonderful. <laughs> you used to be the worst as speech writers, right. now you're the best. Well, I was the newest. <laughs> it, was, it was hard to get, it was hard to write in her style. Yeah. And, um, as Dominic says, th th there's one other character in this story that, that you, you clearly will not be able to interview or even find many people who will remember his role. But it was that of Peter Morrison, who was a oh, parliamentary yeah. private secretary. Yeah. And I, I don't think... I'm pretty sure Peter was already ill at the time. He died quite soon thereafter, a couple of years after. A bit, bit longer than bit that. bit longer than that. Heart um, failure brought on by seriously excessive alcohol consumption. And... Yeah. This was not a person, I mean, Charles Paul will tell you more because he knew this, this situation better than, than we did, but it was always even to us that he was not on top of the process of gathering the votes to support her. Um, I think Charles, was it not, was it Charles or was it you? One, I remember one of you telling me the problem was Peter would go and he would talk to individual MPs and say, I can trust you to do the right thing when the vote comes up. And they would say, oh yes, and Peter would mark that as a tick. That wasn't necessarily what the individual had meant. I think somebody, it may have been Charles, said, I think on the telling all this lot up, there are about 600 Conservative MPs. Yes. <laughs> there were yes. several sort of saying yes, yes. to Peter yes. and yes to Michael, you know. It, it, was, it was very poorly run and coordinated. And in that sense, it was an almost an accident that that was the point at which he went, notwithstanding the poll tax pressures and the obvious tension over the joining of the European um, you know, the, the, the ERM. ERM. Yeah. That, that was just... You know. Well, that was the proximate cause, wasn't it? When yeah, her, her speech after whatever summit it was, mm. reporting back, was fine when she was scripted. It was when she went off script at the end and answering questions and there was the this, 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 no, no, no. no. And yes. you could see Geoffrey Howe visibly wincing. Yes, yes you, you could only see him after each no go further back in the chair. 
Yes, the Commission does want to increase its powers. Yes, it is a non-elected body, and I do not want the Commission to increase its powers against this House. So, of course, we are differing. Of course, the Chairman or the President of the Commission, Mr. Delors, said at press conference the other day that he wanted the European Parliament to be the democratic body of the community. He wanted the Commission to be the executive, and he wanted the Council of Ministers to be the Senate. No. 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 That, that was against mainstream Tory opinion then. She was, she was drifting apart from it. It's hard to believe now. Yes, indeed. But that's no, no, no speech. She was out on a limb to a degree with her own, within the parliamentary party. Well, I think, yes, I think that is right. And the trouble is, um, I think Charles might disagree with me, but um, mainstream Tory opinion was wrong. You know, the ERM wasn't something that we were in a position to go into at that point. And certainly um, not at that rate. And certainly not at that rate. I mean, that was just punishing. Um, well, we know what happened. Uh, just to pick up on another thing that, uh, that really strikes me reading about it, you have essentially this breakdown of relationship with her cabinet, which in her old world she blames down as the reason for her defenestration. But this incredible relationship she had with her officials, which I read about, very tight, loyal. Uh, it almost seems the wrong way around to me. Uh, is that usual, and, and do you recognise my description? I think it was um, accentuated. Yes. It's, it's, it's not unusual for there to be a tension, I mean, witness now, yeah. in the Cabinet. And again, Theresa has a very small coterie of loyal officials, special advisers, that she trusts. Very limited number of people. And to a degree that was true with Margaret as well. Yes. She was always... Wonderful to us at individual Absolutely. level. You know, she'd come down about nine o'clock. Oh, poor dears, you've got families, you should be getting home. Uh, we're still waiting through this lot, Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be getting it shortly. Oh, you must come up to the flat and she'd, she'd yes. give us a glass of whiskey and sometimes rustle up some scrambled eggs and things. Yes, yeah, it was very loud. And, uh, and even with John Major, I mean, I, it was perhaps not quite so intense, but it is a, a very close relationship. You know, you. You get into situations where some wretched department delivers a paper late. You're working on it at 9.30 or 10. He, he's gone off to his bedroom because he's dog-tired and needs to sleep. And, you know, he's probably going to have to wake at 3 in the morning to read the papers. And you end up sort of stu literally sticking stuff under the, the door. Of course the relationship is very close. Yeah. You know, you can't avoid that. But I, I, I agree with Dominic. I mean, I think it was probably accentuated in her case. And, and do you Partly think... being a woman, I think Caroline's... Yes, Caroline's right at that one. And, and do you, did, did that compromise with all the civil servants? You were always very good, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I, I don't mean it, no, but the, the, the great thing of neutrality and so on. Was it you, um, we were not neutral about her. Yes, no, no, that, that is exactly right. I mean, I... Um, That's very interesting to hear that, yeah. And you, and you had no problem with that? No. 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 Uh, I confess personally, she sort of radicalised me <laughs> in later years. And I always used to do, because of doing the parliamentary which I was doing then, uh, you're always at the more combative end of the civil service spectrum. Uh, and I used to take what I called the, the Kinnock test. I looked into the mirror each question time morning. I, I could do this for Neil Kinnock. And as long as I could say that with a straight face, it was fine. One morning, I just guffawed. And I thought, oh, I can see my time in the civil service will come to an end at some point soon. And you, Barry, did you, did you ever think I'm more uh, a political advisor now than a civil servant? No, I don't think that bothered me. Uh, I was always troubled. I mean, my, my background was in economics. 
And I was troubled by, you know, that on two of the major policy decisions, one I think she got right and one I think she got wrong. But I was a little concerned, um, I'm sure you've heard this from many people, and, and it's almost disloyal of me to say it after the organization did so much for, for my career. But the Treasury at any point in time has an orthodoxy in which it, it has an immaculate, almost religious faith. Uh, and so we believe that joining the ERM was the right thing to do at that particular rate. And I was never convinced. And I knew that the community charge was a mistake. And it was one of the reasons I took myself off to an international organization thereafter to try and get a broader perspective on these matters. I, I, I felt that we were... Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm all in favour of a powerful treasury. You've only got to, to turn on the news any night here and see all these pressures for more spending and these poor beleaguered guys trying to, you know, um, put their fingers in the dike, as it were. But I sometimes used to think that it needed more of an internal debate. Um, so that was the conclusion I drew from the time. But I was not tempted in the political direction. Uh, actually, quite the reverse in some ways. But... And just to talk about this relationship you had with her, um, there seems to be this extraordinary dinner with her the night before she left Downing Street. Have I got the right? That was in the flat. And and just, was... So this is the night before 11 years of her premiership ends. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember, it was something with Mint in it, whether it was Miss Stonia or, or Miss Sarker. And, or... and Carol had cooked it. Had it wasn't no, Carol Thatcher it was, there? Uh, she was, she was there, but it was Crawford that actually... Crawford cooked it, sorry, yes. Crawford cooked it. Crawford's a special assistant, right. said, yes. Yeah. Um, and and we, we sat around the small table in the flat. Yeah. And to... I didn't agree with Caroline's description of it as ghoulish, but to sort of buoy her spirits up, because Andrew was bustling in and out, because yes. he was the principal private secretary. He was you know, in, out with the old and in with the, the new, new was sort right. of his job. Uh, so there was Charles, you, mm. me, Caroline, Karen. Amanda? I think Amanda was there. I think Amanda might have been there, yes. Yeah. And to sort of raise her spirits and distract her, we played, let's, let's, let's form the next cabinet. Oh, God. And we're putting <laughs> forward this boost there. And I think uh, she asked, and what about him? And I said, and it turned out to be right. Uh, he'll go to environment. Oh, no, that's it. Oh, yes. It's what's called a hospital pass, Prime Minister. <laughs>
to see the cabinet one by one gave, in my view, unsound advice. Yeah. Just to explain that to us, we all know the ins and outs, so explain, explain that, what, what you mean by that. Uh, it made it too no, easy. Explain what happened exactly. Sorry, well, just what, what happened was in the... Uh, it was the afternoon... She'd had the vote, she'd had right. the result. Technically, because of the weird voting rules at the time, she hadn't passed the threshold, but she right. had got a clear majority over right. Hessel time. Uh, if she'd basically said to the cabinet, at cabinet, right, I want you lot out on the street with me and saying we're going to fight the next one, I think most of them, right. if not all, would have come out with her and then the colours nailed to the mast. But seeing them one by one, which is what she was advised to do that afternoon, to take soundings, made it too easy for them to say, oh, Prime Minister, you have my undying personal support, but I just don't think we can win. And a lot of them took that line. One or two who were more blunt. There's always been this ridiculous conspiracy theory that um, the, the private office set it up so that those who were opposed to her were taken first. So I can put that one to bed. All yeah. that happened was... I think you. So Ken Clarkin goes in first. Ken Clarkin, but you and know, he was the bluntest. Yes. And, and we had, you know, a list of five um, cabinet members to ring up each of the private secretaries, and we had a slots, and we just put them in. It was random. There was no purpose behind that whatsoever. And yeah, when you're compiling that list, are, are you aware of where this is going, or are you still thinking? Should this, this, is, this is this is a job of work to be done. You yeah, just got to crack on and do it. Like yeah. the following day when she. Announced a cabinet resignation. We again had to nip out, and each of us were detailed off with leader of the opposition, speaker, leader of the yeah. Dems, etc., to make the calls. Make and you just call get on and do it. Yeah, yes, very much so. I, I agree with that. But there was no sort of conspiracy theory. I mean, the interesting question, um, which does bear thinking about, is who was it who gave the advice in the immediate period after she had come back that she should consult her colleagues individually? rather than collectively. That is a very good point. And there is... Do we, do we know? Mr. We Morrison? don't. No? Could we don't. Have? It could have been Peter. I think unlikely. Unlikely. Uh, it could have been the Lord Baker. Yes, he might have gone, yes. Um, it could have been Waddington. Yeah. Well, because Waddington was Chief Whip at the time, wasn't he? Was he, or, was or he, was he in Northern Ireland by then? then. But people was chief, chief. People she was close to. Yeah, that, was that, that small be, yeah. campaign team, basically. Yes. Yes, one from that, could even have been John Wakem? Because he was on that team, wasn't he? Yes, I was wondering about John Wakem's role in the whole thing. That is also possible. Uh, you know, we, we, we can only speculate civil service. You know, you're never in on that. Yeah, there is a sharp divide. Although, once you walk past the door of Downing Street, you're all mm -hmm. one team. Yeah. On matters like that, there is still a very sharp divide yeah. between the politicians and the officials and even the policy units, even the politicised members of the And, and as, as you probably know, certainly it was the practice then, that often at the end of Cabinet, she would say, that's the end of the formal Cabinet, and I want to discuss some political matters, and the four of us would automatically get up and go out the door. Yeah. So we were never a party to that kind of thing. Do you, I mean, again, um, the mistake she's making, the way she's isolating herself, do you think she want, people weren't telling her what she needed to hear or was it just her personality? She wasn't, she, she, wasn't, wasn't listening. she wasn't listening. I remember when, a bit before then, she was, uh, just before the vote, the weekend before the vote, she was determined to go off to the 
CSC, Conference on Security, something in Europe, yeah. uh, which was sort of formally to mark the end of the Cold War and the victory of the West. Uh, so I can see what attracted him, and I said, Prime Minister, you know, it may be historic, but you could be history as a result. Mm. Please, spend your time going around the tea rooms, personally canvassing. If they don't realise by now what they owe me, they never will. I'll go and take my place in history. I bumped into Charles as I came out of the study, and I said, I had a go at persuading you not to go. He says, you wouldn't stand a chance to boy. I've already tried. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Charles. <laughs> and was that a quote? It's a, quote, it's a weakness of the strength, isn't it, in her? Had that um, weakness strength accentuated yeah. in your experience? She was more and more like that. Yeah. Less inclined to listen. Mentally, she was, it was retreating to a bunker. Yes. Yeah. Yes, no, that's exactly right. I do remember that. And were you, uh, but still when she left, were you frustrated with her, angry with her? No, no. no sad just, sad just for totally, her. Very, totally very sad for her. Yeah. Yes. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There is something very strange. I'm sure I'm not the first person to mention this, and I think Karen mentioned it in the book, that there is something extraordinarily unseemly about the process by which one Prime Minister leads with these civil servants and the security guards and, you know, everybody in the office applauding them out and then an hour later applauding the new person as if nothing had happened. And I remember feeling distinctly uncomfortable about that. Um, La reine est mort, vive le roi. Yeah, exactly. The civil service is there. there Exactly so. And when did you you know the night before that she was going to resign? When did you, when, when did you, can you remember the moment someone said she's definitely going? Or we suspect. We suspect. I mean, what happened, I think, is, is relates to Carolyn's work. I mean, we're there until goodness knows when, until one or two in the morning. At that point, Dominic realized, and I realised we haven't eaten. And so we go off in a, in a search for somewhere to eat and end up at the Burger King that was then in Leicester Square, I seem to remember. Yeah. Came back, went to bed around, I think, 2.33, something like that. I can't remember. We'd had the visitation before. And we'd had the visitation We'd, we'd, we'd finished the speech... And we had a delegation of ultra-loyalists who came in to see her, to persuade her not to resign. This would have been 11 o'clock, half yeah, 11. 11 o'clock at night. And uh, Andrew rightly was adamant that she wouldn't... She wasn't, I mean, she done, he's under instructions, she's not. She's in the flat, to be, not to be disturbed. So we said, well, the least you can do is slip a note under the door of the flat with your views in it. Ooh, matter, 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 matter. What were their views? And uh, we both said, uh, you, you know, you formulate them. We'll just get, go down to the garden rooms and we'll come down with us and we'll type up the note for you. Yeah, exactly. uh, so you're now typing a note up for loyal MPs we stopped at the recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't. We assisted them in articulating their argument. Shall we put it that way? Yes. In the finest traditions of the civil service. Civil service. Uh, and uh, I think Andrew, rightly not wanting to be party to a transgression, yeah. said, "Well, it's after hours. What you do in your own time is your own business." <laughs> and wandered off. So we did that. Slipped the note under the uh, mm. door of the flat. Went and then went and got our burger. Uh, so we couldn't have got to bed much before three o'clock. And of course there are rooms above the dining street for the private secretaries in those circumstances. So I remember getting up. Did you go home? Or did you, did you no, 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 no. no. By that time we, 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 we were given the garden girls' room. So yeah, I think one we, of them we, slept in the private secretary's bedroom. Right. That's a single bed. Yeah. The garden girls, I think there's three or four beds. Three or four, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, we, we 
you know, I remember getting up at seven thinking, well, I'll be there for the decision. Well, of course, you know, she'd been up since 5.30 and I appeared in the private secretary's room and Charles just looked up and said, she's going to resign. Yeah, it's done. It's done. And yeah. that, was, that was the first we knew was that morning. And we also knew that no matter what she said or did, we still had to go through the adjournment debate that afternoon and Prime Minister's questions. And PMQs, yes. So, you know, it was just a, a, you just kept going. Um, yeah. I remember doing the first draft. It was the easiest speech I ever had to write, yeah, actually, because I was yeah. before Kinnock said confidence motion. I was walking the dog three times around the Woden Deer Park, which is where we live, because I was how on earth are we going to craft this speech? And it's uh, right, boing. I know what the structure of the speech is. It is uh, Sir Nico Henderson's valedictory dispatch as ambassador to Washington on the state of the nation as he saw it in 1979. I think the month before she became Prime Minister. And you, you just frame it that that's what he said. Now what have we done since? Let's just run through these fields. Mm. As Caroline said, it was not an inspirational speech, but what it gave her was a good structure that she could play to in a sympathetic house. I mean, it wasn't just her own backbenchers doing the, oh my God, what have we done? Even Labour was... Yes, um, many, many. They pulled many. punches, and um, Dennis Skinner... Yes. The beast. You should be the gov governor of the bank, bank of the Bundesbank. Yeah. What a good idea. What a good idea. And so it was magnificently delivered. And, and you know, quite a, quite a good speech, magnificently delivered. Yes, absolutely. The delivery was terrific. Did you, were we, did you, go, did you go for comments of that? Yes, we were in the yeah, official we the, 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 the really box. were there. So yeah. you were there the night before, there in the moment you resigned, in the yes. House of Commons, and then yeah. had the last dinner with her at the very end. And were there when John... We had won the second, had won the vote in the runoff against Heseltine and Heard, and he came across to number 11, mm. and she, still thinking of him very much as her protege, rushed through to congratulate him. And there's a great line in Sarah Hogan Jonathan Hill's book mm. which described that moment when there were a whole load of people, yeah, the, the courtiers this. and jackals of public life, was a quote yeah. from memory, and she gave her congratulations, but then, whoosh, it was this power. The magnetism of power, the power had gone. She was alone in the middle of the room. Everybody was around John Major, and you and I said, we'd better go over and keep her company. Yeah. And we did. I remember that very well. She was literally on her own at one point, physically on her own. Yeah. And uh, it, it was disturbing. Who do you blame more? Uh, Blame. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to make a moral judgment there. But do, do you blame her backbenchers? Do you blame the cabinet? Or do you blame her? I mean, it's a combination of all three. <laughs> yeah. But, but who, who? Who is the principal <laughs> author of Thatcher's downfall? Uh, that's a very good question. I think you could say with Thatcher it was contributory negligence. Because <laughs> I say that's a great civil servant answer. Yes. But no, I, I, I think I agree. I mean. It, it happened when it happened because the, I mean, it's easy for civil servants to blame the politicians, but I do blame them in the sense that a better handled and run campaign would have made yeah, sure that, she, that, that, she, that she got through that. That said, the underlying problems of dealing with the ERM and her, I mean, she really had to swallow hard um, to accept the ERM. I always, I've always felt guilty about this, but she asked me the night before we went into the ERM, are we going in at the right rate? And I gave her a deceptively unfair 
civil servants answer, which was to say, well, it's the rate the markets are at now. That doesn't answer the question. Yeah, of course it because doesn't. the truth of the matter was we were going in at the wrong rate. Um, but I think that the ERM and the, the, the poll tax problems probably did spell you know, doom. Um, but so, in a sense, it, was only, it would only have been to postpone it. But the way the campaign was handled was not good. Those days in November of 1990, the most dramatic you ever worked in? Definitely. Yeah, I would say so. Definitely. I would say so.